has been um, coming along to some of the... We meet as a leadership team um, on a Monday morning and uh, Kat has been coming along to that and has been absolutely brilliant. Um, she's, she's fantastic in that place and also uh, I know that she's got so much to bring. So uh, we're just going to pray, Kat, that you speak out all the words that God has for you on your heart and uh, we pray, Father, that uh, as those words come out that we we will, uh, th- that will increase the thankfulness in our hearts, Father. Amen. Morning, everybody. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving morning, day, whatever it is. Um, so at this time of year, in our, in our British culture, we um, celebrate Thanksgiving. We're giving thanks. Um, traditionally, we're giving thanks to God for the good harvest that we've had. So at this time of year, it's really good to kind of stop and reflect and think about um, thankfulness. So we're just going to start off. I'm just going to be looking at different examples that Jesus has given us of how we can be thankful in our lives. So we're just going to start by looking at John 13, just verse 1. I think it's going to come up here if you haven't got your Bibles. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So Jesus has been on a journey with his disciples for about three and a half years. He's walked with them. He's taught them. He's shown them everything. They've made mistakes along the way. They've been annoying. They haven't quite got it. But they've walked this journey together for three and a half years. So if it was me, I'd be saying, right at the beginning yeah I've loved them for the last three years but I haven't liked you always or yeah I loved you sometimes but when you really didn't understand I just got so frustrated with you but Jesus starts it all by saying that he absolutely loved them in the world and he was going to show them the full extent of his love so that's the start of of their last um their last supper together and um in this in this in this meal that they have together Jesus goes on to then fully fully show his love by lowering himself to below that of a of a servant and and decides to wash all of the disciples feet now that's something that the lowest servant would have done during that meal but Jesus lowers himself humbles himself to do that position and pretty much within the same breath he then predicts that Judas is going to betray him and not just a little betray him betray him so that he is then going to lead to a cruel cruel death and Peter he tells Peter in the same breath that he's going to deny him pretty much not long after Jesus has died and so Jesus is not just washing the disciples feet who have who have been good to him who are, he's not just washing the 10 that he's saying you're going to remember me. He's washing all of their feet. So that's a message to all of us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Jesus still loves us exactly the same. He absolutely loves us completely. Um, so then in, within the same feast, if we look at Luke 22, verse 17. Let me just flick to it. Jesus says, Luke 22, verse 17. After taking the cup, he gives thanks He said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus is stood there and he's giving thanks for the food right in front of them. He's giving thanks for the bread and wine right in front of them. And to the disciples, that's probably what it looks like. He's giving thanks for the food. Just like, you know, we often say grace for our food. Jesus is doing 
doing that. But we know, and Jesus knows, that actually, yes, he's giving thanks for that, but he's not only giving thanks for that, he's giving thanks for what that represents. He's giving thanks that actually his body is going to be broken brutally, um, like by breaking the bread, and the wine, his blood is going to be shed, his life is going to be gone. And in that, he's at the... he's. Before that journey's even started, he stood knowing exactly what's before him, knowing exactly what he's going to face. And yet he's saying to God, thank you for this bread. Thank you that my body's going to be broken. Thank you that my blood is going to be shed. Isn't that like mind blowing? He's just, he's saying thank you to God for what stands before him. And yet we know that Jesus in their Matthew, Mark and Luke, I think it is, Jesus says to God, he says to God, if there is any other way, please take this from me. If there is any other way, God, take this burden from me. But God, if it is your will, let your will be done, not my will. If it's your will, God, you do it. But if there's any other way, please take this burden from me. So we know that this isn't a task that Jesus was looking forward to, that Jesus was saying was going to be easy. We know that Jesus, it said that he sweated beads of blood. Jesus was really struggling and fighting with this thing that he was about to face. But yet he stood in front of his disciples hours before he was going to be arrested and said, Thank you, God, for what's about to come before me. Now that, to me, is mind-blowing. So what, what my first point of today is, do not let our wants and our desires dictate how thankful we are. So what we are wanting, what we are asking for, let that not dictate how thankful we are because Jesus gives us, gives us that fantastic example of this. We all have things that we want, whether it's um, a job or a role, a position, whether we're praying for marriages, relationships, families, money, whatever it is, we all have things that we're asking for. But let's not let what we want or what we desire deeply affect how thankful we are towards God. Okay, so that's point number one. Um, so where we, where we put our focus in our mind is really, really important. Um, as it, I'm a midwife. I, uh, w- with my line of work, I look after lots and lots of women who are giving birth. And I know from experience, and, um, and I can talk about it another time, but that where somebody's focus is in their mind, how they think in their head massively impacts their physical body massively impacts it and often we think of our mind as over here and that's one thing and our body just kind of does its own thing over here but that's not true our mind and body are designed to be connected and what we think about comes into what physically happens in our body okay so where we focus our mind is massively important to our physical health but just to our overall well-being what we focus on is important so let me give an example so um Research has shown that negative thoughts cause you to think in a narrow-minded way. Negative thoughts closes your mind to think in a narrow-minded way. So this is a bit of a visual example. If I'm walking along a path and I'm in a forest and it's beautiful, the weather's gorgeous, the trees are looking fantastic, there's a little brook, everything's lovely, then all of a sudden on my path right in front of me, there's a big ferocious tiger yeah and it's looking hungry okay there's this big tiger there all of a sudden all I can see is this big scary tiger right in front of me that's all I can see I've immediately forgotten the nice walk I was having the nice weather the nice scenery all I can see is that tiger and you can understand that it's a scary looking tiger and it's right in front of me yeah but if I just open my my eyes to what's going on around me 
I'm not just focusing just on the thing right in front of me. So actually, yes, that tiger's scary and it could potentially hurt me. But if I open up my mind and open up my thinking and think, actually, do you know what? I'm surrounded by hundreds of trees. I can climb them. I'm surrounded by, I don't just have to take this one path. There's hundreds of paths I can take and I'll be fine. I'm surrounded by sticks and stones on the floor. If I need to, I can defend myself against this tiger. Can you see how if you just focus on the one negative thing in that situation, that's gonna, that narrows my thinking, whereas opening up my mind and looking at what's going on in the whole picture helps us process what's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, so I'm not saying that I completely ignore that tiger. I'm not asking us to slap a smile on our face and say, yeah, my whole world's falling apart, but everything is fine. It's not, it's not that at all. It's not pretending that that tiger isn't there. That tiger's very real and that tiger is important and I need to deal with that tiger, but I can deal with it by not solely focusing on it. I need to open up my eyes and look at what's going on in the wider picture. Okay, so I'm not asking us to be fake. I'm not asking us when people say, how's things for you? You say, yeah, everything's great. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, you can, we're saying, do you know what? This has happened, but God is good and this is also happening. It's about looking at the whole picture um, all together. So um, there was... Um, so psychologists did some research and the research showed that um, the biggest contribution, the single biggest contribution to our happiness, to an individual's happiness, is how much thanks that person gives out. I'll just say that again. The single um, greatest contributing factors to your overall happiness in your own life is how much gratitude you yourself show. Isn't that amazing? I find that Two things. One, massively empowering. It's not, it's not about what anybody else does to me. It's not about what their thanks is to me. I can make my happiness increase by being thankful. And the second thing that I just think is amazing is that God knows what's good for us. God tells us to be thankful because he knows that that is what's good for us. There's a really, really fun um, YouTube clip. You can search it. It's called Soul Pancake, The Science of Happiness. Um, and on this, they, they've taken that research, that psychological research, and done their own little experiment with it. And what they did is got, got the general public to come in and got them to score themselves on different questions for their happiness. And then they asked them to, to, to mention one person in their life, a single person who had the biggest positive influence in their life, and asked them to write down everything that they loved about that person. After they'd done that, they then rang that person for them, gave them the phone and asked them to read their letter to that person. It's really emotional video clip, you should watch it. Um, and after they've completed that, later on, they then get them to complete a different happiness test. So it's similar, but, but it, they don't know, it's exactly the same. And they found that by writing out all the things that you're thankful for, it increased their happiness. Not, not by a lot, but, but definitely increased their happiness. But if that person personally expressed their thankfulness to the person that they were thankful for, their happiness increased over 10 times. Isn't that amazing? Just by saying thank you face to face or personally to somebody, your happiness can increase tenfold. And the, what was really interesting was that the, this particular research showed that the person who was the least happiest at the beginning made the biggest improvement on their happiness at the end. So that's telling us that no matter what you're in, the, the most 
difficult situation you're in, the more tough your situation is, the more that you show your thanks, your happy, it'll, it'll have the biggest impact on your happiness. So when you're in the position where you're finding it hardest to think of something to be thankful for, it's in those times that we need to say thank you because actually that is the absolute best thing that we can do in that situation. So my second point of this morning is let's acknowledge what he has already done. And like Sam was saying this morning, that so often we forget. So often we forget what God has already done. So second point, first of all, let's not let our wants and desires dictate how thankful we are. Second point, let's acknowledge what God has already done. And there's so many ways you can do this. Everyone will have their own um, ways, but we can do it as families, you know, at mealtimes, we can sit around with our, with our children and with our loved ones and ask them, what's been great in your day today? What has been, fun? What, what are you thankful for that's happened today? Or you can, um, if any of you keep prayer journals, I really, I don't always keep a prayer journal, but I go through phases of it. And I like to flick back with a highlighter and highlight every single thing that God has answered. Because actually, it's amazing what we forget. Last not last year, the year before for Christmas, I gave all my family um, a joy jar for their Christmas present. And basically, it's a jam jar with the word joy written on it. It's a really cheap Christmas present. Um, and what we did for a year as a family, or my extended family, is every time something good happened throughout that year, we wrote it on a piece of paper and put it in that joy jar. And when it came to New Year's Day the year after, we opened up our joy jars and looked at all the blessings and all the good things that had happened to each of us as, as individual families throughout that, throughout that year. So it's just little things of remembering what God has already done um, in our lives. So Jesus knew the journey that he was about to walk. Jesus knew the, the trauma and the discomfort and the, um, and the you know, horrendous t- uh, deal that was before him and he still gave thanks. In John 16 verse 33, Jesus says to us that he, we will have times of trouble. That's not, a gonna, that's not a shock to any of us, any of us that are Christians that you think that life's going to be fantastic. It isn't. Life's life. Life's difficult. We're going to have trouble before us. That's a fact. But in Hebrews 4 verse 15, it also tells us that Jesus experienced the same things as us. Jesus has experienced the same temptations and the same difficulties as us. But if we look to Jesus' example, he gives us loads of examples of how we can give how we can give thanks so the feeding of the 5000 as he stood before the 5000 men and the and the women and the children he has the loaves and fishes and Jesus gives thanks for them loaves and fishes with them um, when he heals Lazarus before Lazarus even walks out of the tomb Jesus says thank you God for hearing me and i just love them two examples because the definition of being grateful is feeling or showing appreciation for something that has been done or received. Whereas actually Jesus is thankful before anything's done and before anything's received. So in the feeding of the 5,000, he's facing this, this huge crowd and he has these loaves and fishes and he doesn't say thank you after they've been multiplied, ugh, multiplied and after he's collected the 12 baskets in. He says thank you before. He says thank you for what he's got in his hands right that second. And the same for Lazarus. He doesn't say thank you God that Lazarus has risen again. He says thank you God that you hear me before he even asks God to, to raise him again. Isn't that amazing? We can like flip being grateful on its head and be grateful before we've received or done anything. In 1 Thessalonians um, 5, 16 to 18, it says, be joyful always, pray continually, 
Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't say in that verse, give thanks for all things. So if something really awful and really evil is happening to you, you don't need to give thanks for that thing. It says give thanks in all things. Many of you have probably heard the story of um, Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom is a um, Dutch Christian who was um, in the Second World War. She helped um, a lot of the Jewish people and for that she has found herself in a Nazi concentration camp. And she writes a book called The Hiding Place and in her book she writes about this passage um, where her and her sister Betsy find themselves in the same concentration camp and they're in the same barracks together and they've just gone into a new barrack and in this, um, in this place it says it's foul and um, the conditions and they'd already been in a concentration camp for a while but she was saying the conditions in this particular barrack were atrocious, absolutely disgusting um, and they'd managed to sneak in a Bible between the two of them and so they read this verse in Thessalonians, give thanks um, in all in all circumstances and they decided to get together and they were next to each other and they were saying, right, we've read this, God is saying we need to be thankful, right, what can we be thankful for? And her sister Betsy says, right, first of all, let's be thankful that we're together. So they thank God that they're together in this situation and then they get thinking a bit more and then they thank God that they've got their Bible with them. Thank you God that we've got our Bible. Thank you God that we managed to sneak this in. And then Betsy goes on to say, thank you God for the overcrowded conditions. And Corrie says, I was a bit like, what? no, what do you mean? What? No, I'm not thanking God for that. What do you mean? And she was saying, it is so crowded, Corrie. It is so crowded that so many people around us, they have no choice but to listen to the good news. They have no choice to hear what our saviour Jesus can do for them. So then Corrie was like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you, God, for the crowded conditions. And then this bunker is absolutely flea-ridden. It's absolutely flea-ridden. And then Betsy says, thank you, God, for the fleas. And Corrie says in her book, she drew the line at that. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances would she thank God for the fleas. There was, she couldn't thank God for the fleas. So she just said to her sister, you can thank God for the fleas, but I'm not thanking God for the fleas. And then later on in the book, it, comes, it, it says that... Um, they, they had many a time of teaching and, and preaching the good news in, in their bunker. They had many times of singing God's praises and praying to God. Um, and they were never disrupted by the guards. The guards never came in and stopped their, um, their, their time together of praising God. And they found out at a later date that the reason that not a single guard would go into their bunker is because... Their bunker was flea-ridden. The guards did not want to go anywhere near that disgusting flea-ridden bunker, so they left them in peace. And at that point, Corrie said, God can turn all things for good. And isn't that so true for us, that God, no matter what, no matter what we face, no matter that maybe some of you are going through horrendous things that you're thinking, actually, do you know what, I can't find a single thing to be thankful for in that situation. God can still turn all things for good. That's what it tells us in Romans 8, verse 28. God turns all things for good. So no matter what situation we're in, my third and final point is that give thanks in all things because who knows what God's plan is. We don't know God's mind. We don't know what God has in, what God's, what God can do. We just have to trust that we know he's unchanging. He never changes and he can turn all things um, for good. So bit, ha, gratitude creates fellowship between people. When somebody gives you the biggest heartfelt thank you, 
there's an immediate connection between you and that person. So the more thankful we are to God, the more that we show our thanks to God, the closer we'll be to God. The more thanks we show to each other, the closer we'll be as a people, the more united we'll be as a people. And we're all going to be happier for it. So there's no reason why we, why we shouldn't give thanks. God is unchanging. So let's not let our wants and desires dictate how thankful we are. He knows what's good for us. So let's acknowledge what he has already done. And he's, been, he's already been there and he can turn all things for good. So let's give thanks in all situations. Okay. So what we're going to do now is we're going to um, have a time of communion together. And in, when we're taking the bread and the wine, it's amazing if we could just, we, we use it as a time of reflection to thank God for what he did on the cross. Thank God that through his actions, we are free. We can have a relationship with God. We can, um, you know, we can, we can meet with God in a way because of his actions. But we can also take it as a time to just reflect today about all the things in our lives that we can be thankful for and come towards him and say, God, do you know what? This is really painful. This isn't how I imagined it. This isn't what I wanted for my life in whatever situation that you've got going on. But saying, God, despite this circumstance, I'm thankful that you are the same, that you are unchanging, that you are good, that you can turn everything that happens to me um, for good. Um, so let's just take some time. I think we're going to do communion. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to have stations around the, around the room. And I think the band are going to come up um, and if they could play and, um, and then we're going to take communion together. Yeah.